the longer you live, the, the more you live life, the more experiences you gain, you realize that and life is full of questions. And no one knows this better than parents of little children. Um, I don't know how many of you are parents here, or especially parents of really young children. I'm not, and so I did a little research into this and found out a little bit of information about what you go through. Um, I just found out that this, uh, this week that a four-year-old, on average, asks 390 questions a day. Now, that's a lot of questions. That's a lot of talking. That averages out to a question every two minutes. Thank God for you parents. But as they get older, the questions decrease. And by around nine years old, uh, a a child will ask about 114 questions. That's one every five minutes. So so, uh, questions are just a part of life. Another interesting thing that I found out about these whole questions Guess which parent a child is more likely to go to with questions? Mom. Great. Here's why. Out of the uh, the study that I was reading, out of uh, how many students or children that they polled, they said 24% of them said they're more likely to go to mom because every time they went to dad with a question, dad said go ask your mom. <laughs> we live in a, in a world full of questions, and children have just wonderful, fun questions. Just recently, this last weekend, uh, Jen and I, we were at a barbecue. We were, at, uh, we were with family and with friends, and I saw friends that I haven't seen in a long time. And so this couple, they have two children, one of them, Isaiah, he's nine years old. And so we're out in the, in the, in the backyard, we're barbecuing, we're, I'm, you know, I'm doing my hot dogs and the, and the burgers and whatnot, and so Isaiah's playing, and we're, we're, we're doing our thing, we're chatting, we're playing, and, and we got to talking. And again, keep in mind that this study is in the back of my mind, and I'm thinking about what I'm going to speak about today. So I decided I'm going to count how many questions he asked me in a span of 30 minutes. The answer, 18 18 questions in a span of 30 minutes. And these are not simple questions, mind you. These are um, questions arranged everything from sports to philosophical. I mean, he had a question about why LeBron was moving from LA to, uh, or from Cleveland to LA, and why he thought that was a bad idea. Um, apparently, nine-year-olds have all the answers. Um, he, it, he asked me why I arranged hot dogs the way I did and gave me, he suggested, a more efficient way to get it done. My favorite of the morning was uh, when he asked me, why is the moon called the moon? Apparently, I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> and neither does Google, so uh, there was that. Kids are full of questions, um, and fortunately, so are we as adults. Um, but as you walk through life, you realize that many of life's questions are not so easily answered like, like this one. Laurel. 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 Laurel, 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 Laurel.
Which one did you hear, Yanni or Laurel? All the Yanni folks, please raise your hand. Okay, there were way more Yanni folks in the first service. All Laurels, raise your hand. Good, good for you. Yanni folks, you're wrong. <laughs> but in all seriousness, life is full of questions. Oh, wow, the conversation's still going. <laughs> um, I have to get through my sermon, so we'll <laughs> come see me afterwards. Um, in all seriousness, life is full of questions, and no matter where you are, you're going to encounter them, especially when life gets hard, when you're going through a trial that you did not anticipate, when there's sickness, when there's the loss of a loved one. It's in the midst of trial and difficulty that we so often ask these questions. Questions that you're not anticipated all of a sudden find home in your heart. Why? Why do these things happen to me? What did I do that I, that I would deserve something like this to happen to me? Or what did I say? What did my parents do? What did my family do? What, why are we going through this? Sometimes even just a simple question, why? Why are we going through this? While asking questions is great, it's important. How we respond to questions being asked, asked of us is also as equally important. Today we're going to go into John chapter 9, and we're going to, we're going to read the account of a, of a man. He's a blind man that Jesus encounters, or Jesus encounters on his, on his travels. He heals him, and now all of a sudden this man's world is open to questions. Questions from his community, questions from the religious leaders of the day, and he's having to respond. And so today, I want us to take a, take a little journey into the life of this man, into the life of the community, and see what, how he responds, and maybe we, there is a lesson in there for us. But the, the question what I want us to grapple with today is this, how do you respond to a world that is blind to who God is? How do you respond to a world that looks at you and says, you're enduring this, you're going through this, but there's something different about you, and how, how is that possible? How do you respond to a world that looks at your situation and says, it's unbelievable, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy, I can't understand it. How do you respond to a world that may not just be in disbelief, they may actually be hostile towards you, and they say, no rational person can believe in a God in the sky who controls all of, your, all of your life. He would do this and that. No rational person can believe. So how do you respond to that? So let's start. Let's, uh, if you would like to join me, we're in John chapter 9, verses 1 onwards. And we're going to put it up on the screens. If you would like, there's a Bible in, in a seat in front of you. So do follow along. John chapter 9, verses 1, through 2, and 3. As he passed by, this is Jesus, he saw a, ma a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
So John's talking about Jesus is on his way, and we over these past few weeks we were talking about how Jesus has been in in Jerusalem. He's been in Jerusalem. He's been at the temple. He's been he's been at the synagogues. They went through the Feast of Tabernacles, and then last week we talked about how he encountered people who thought they were believers, but in reality they really were not. And as he continues this journey, he comes upon a man who's been blind his whole life. And this is his life story. He's been begging for sustenance. He knows that people will be generous. And so he's just sitting there and his whole life, that's what he's been doing. And now all of a sudden, the disciples have a question for Jesus. And this is their question. Jesus, who sinned? This man obviously is going through something. What is the cause of this something. What is the cause of his blindness? Did he sin? Did his parents sin? Who made this come about? You see, when they're asking this, it's not just a random question that pops up. It's not something that they just imagine. It's part of their custom. It's part of their Jewish faith that if you're going through something, if you're going through something negative, there was, a, there was an action that this consequence resulted from. There was an action that caused what they were going through. And so uh, the disciples are looking at Jesus and saying, who did this? But sometimes we do the same thing today, right? If if you're going through something, we might ask ourselves, what did I do to deserve what I am experiencing? Maybe it's it's the sickness of a child, You go to a doctor and they give you bad news. You go back later and the news has gotten worse. And you're sitting here thinking, your mind is reeling. Something had had to happen that this child is going through that. Or maybe one day you walk into into your workplace and your boss unexpectedly tells you, unfortunately, we can't keep you here any longer. And you're struggling with the questions. Was it that I did something? Or maybe you're, you started a business and all of a sudden it's fallen through and something's gone wrong. Or maybe you're dealing with, a loved one who's, uh, you've had some kind of a falling out and that relationship is broken, or maybe it's an addiction that's broken the family, or maybe it's uh, the, uh, the brokenness within a marriage, and you're sitting here saying, what did I do? What had, had to happen for me to go through all this? Why do I deserve this? Maybe you're asking that question today. Maybe you're looking at your own life. Maybe there's something that you've been carrying, the burden that you've been carrying all these many years, these many days, these many moments, and you're asking God, did I do something to deserve this? And Jesus looks back at his disciples and he says, in verse three, we read this, neither this man nor his parents sin, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Here's a little secret. Jesus is saying, no one sinned. This man was created like this. God in his wisdom, God allowed him to go through this for a bigger purpose. God allowed pain into his life for a bigger purpose. And that purpose is so that God's work would be revealed in him. And through him, God would get glory. And so here today, if he has anything to say to us, is for those of us who are going through stuff, who are going through pain, who are going through a suffer, through whatever suffering you may be going through, a trial, here's what I have to say. Your pain is not wasted. 
In God's economy, there is no wasted pain. In God's economy, you, what you're going through, there is a result for it. God can do his work. God will do his work. And through it, he's going to get his glory. So if it's that broken marriage, watch God work. Trust that he would work. Maybe it's that, ch- that child who is sick. Maybe it's the family member who is broken in addiction. God, let God work. Because through it, through whatever you're going through, God can get the glory. God can bring, bring joy out of sorrow. God can bring healing out of sickness. God can bring restoration out of brokenness. And your pain is not wasted. Some of us have been carrying that weight for far too long. Saying, I deserve this. But God is saying, I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm in it to get glory out of it. God works everything out. In Ephesians 1 verse 11, the latter part of the verse says, for him, for, uh, I'll read the whole verse. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your family's going through, no matter what your community is going through, no matter where you find yourself, the nation finds itself, the world finds itself, this is what we know, that God has every moment, every instance, every action in his plan. That he makes all things work together. And Romans 8, Paul himself, he says this, that for those who trust Jesus, he makes things work together for the good. And so... Be reminded that your pain is not wasted. This man had spent years enduring the hardship of a life without sight. And Jesus basically said that God would be glorified through what some would consider a tragedy. God can have purpose in your pain. God has a plan in your trial. Even though many things in life will always hurt, be unexplainable, God occasionally and perhaps intentionally shines purposeful light into our darkness. If you're hurting right now, it may be hard to believe, but know this, that your pain is now wasted. Jesus is continuing his, st- his conversation with his disciples, and he comes upon and he says, I am the light of the world. As a matter of fact, in words, um, this is not the first time he's saying this. If we backtrack to John chapter 8, where a few weeks ago, if, uh, if you remember, Pastor Brian was here and he talked about when Jesus said, I am the river of life and through me, rivers will, water, living water will flow. And if you remember, he brought, up, brought a few of you up. Remember the men who were men and the, the choir and, and the, the flowers and the, the orange and all that. So we're going to recreate that today. No. She's seen some of your faces. Um, during that same festival, if you remember, it was the Feast of Tabernacles where they talked about the water and they celebrated God's faithfulness through the, through the wilderness when they, when, they ro- when they left Egypt all the way to the promised land. And even during that festival, there's another aspect of it where they would light a torch every day of the festival except for the Sabbath. And that torch was to signify the light that they had during the, their walk through the wilderness. During the, during the day, God 
will protect them with a cloud over their, their heads. And at night, he will come down as a pillar of fire, showing, giving them protection, giving them light, giving them heat as they walk through their wilderness. And he's saying, it was Yahweh who made his camp among his people. And Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. And all of a sudden, when Jesus says those words, the people immediately are taken back to the Yahweh that showed himself in the, in the Old Testament. It showed himself to their, to their ancestors, and they know immediately what he's making, that correlation to he's saying, I am God. I am the light of the world who has come, and anyone who walks in me, anyone who encounters this light, will walk in light and not in darkness. And so again, in this conversation, Jesus is talking to them, and he's saying, I am the light of the world, and I'm bringing sight to those who live in darkness. To this man, Jesus is bringing light. So all of a sudden, we find ourselves here in this moment where Jesus is walking by, and, he, and the man encounters Jesus. Jesus Again, John reminds us that this was on the Sabbath. Here's the man who's been, his, who's been blind his whole life. And all of a sudden, here's all this commotion around him. He's used to people talking about him. And he hears all about his family history. He's, he, he's hearing all these, all these conversations. And all of a sudden, he hears someone spitting to the ground. Jesus spits onto the ground, makes mud. He needs mud out of that. Takes that mud. Puts it on his face. Now, if you're looking at it going, man, this is weird. Why couldn't Jesus have just said, be healed, and he would have been healed, right? Or he just touched him on the forehead, and he's made whole. There's, there's purpose behind what Jesus does. And so now he tells the man, go, leave this place. Go to the pool of Siloam and wash your face, and then you'll be healed. And here's this man saying, what actually what hasn't happened at this point he's still blind he's still blind jesus basically all he's done was put mud on a blind person and here he's asking him to take the step of faith go wash himself he comes back completely restored now you would think if you if you're like me you would think great Great end to the story. We can wrap it up here. Jesus does this amazing miracle. This man who's been blind for all these many years in his life has restored sight. Let's move on. Let's celebrate. Let's throw a party. Let's move on. But no, the story doesn't end there. As a matter of fact, John continues and he talks about how this miracle, it creates quite an uproar. As a matter of fact, he goes back to his own community. This man goes back and his neighbors in, in verses, as we go down to the chapter 8 through 12, the neighbors themselves are trying to figure this out. This is what it says. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but it is, he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. And so they said to him, then how are your eyes open? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So even the neighbors can't believe what, what's been happening. 
And so they decide, okay, we can't figure it out. We can't, we can't understand it. We can't comprehend it. So we'll take it to the next step. We'll escalate this up to our religious authorities. And so they take it to the authorities, the Pharisees at this time. And if you recall the story so far, Jesus is not exactly their favorite person. Right? It starts, when, when you start with the book of John, you realize that Jesus has become a little bit of an aggravation to them. He's become a little bit of an irritant to them. So he, as he travels, at first he was just this, this person who was traveling around, speaking, and he's teaching, and, and he's teaching things that don't really line up with how they would do things. He's, he's speaking against their authority. He's speaking against their power. And so they're irritated by it. And as you further on, you realize that now they're angry about it. And as you go even further in chapter 8 verse 59 you read that they wanted to throw they wanted to stone him to death at one point so now they're gone from being irritated to actually being hostile and wanting to execute him so he's not exactly their favorite person and so now now the pharisees are talking about it and the pharisees bring in this man and they said we have to investigate who this person is because he's not doing he's not doing it right He's breaking our law. And this is what you read in, in verses 13 through 17. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud in my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. A quick question. Who's, who's blind here? Who in reality is blind? Is it the blind man or is it the religious leaders of the day? You see, when we talk about Jesus, his love and his forgiveness, we talk about the inclusive nature about that, that love and grace is for everyone. It's available to everyone. All you have to do is receive it. (coughs) At some point, though, this love and this grace starts separating people. It becomes divisive in nature. Jesus himself is somehow divisive. At some level, he's a very polarizing figure. You see, even in this story, you realize that the blind man and the Pharisees and the neighbors, they had all encountered the same Jesus. But one walks away with sight, and the others remain opposed and against, and they continue in their blindness. So how is that? How is, the, how is that all the same people encountering the same person, they walk away with two different responses? And if that happened in that day, can it happen right now? Can we walk into this place, encounter a Jesus, a Jesus who performs the miracles, who provides salvation when we could not in no way attain it? If, he, if, if it happened on that day, can it happen today? And are we in danger of being blind? Jesus, when he comes, he continues the conversation and he says, I come, I am the light of the world. I come. But when I come, I bring light. I bring sight 
to those who are blind. And to, to those who think that they can see, he will blind. It seems a little confusing there. But he says there are people who know that they're blind and they're seeking and they will be healed. There are people who think that they know. They think that they know the law. They think that they know where they stand with God. They think that they have all these things figured out. But to them, they continue in their blindness. How is it? Obviously, it's so obvious that a miracle has happened here. But how is it that they miss the obvious? How is it that the Pharisees refuse to acknowledge or even consider that Jesus might be sent from God? What is it that keeps them from, from, from seeing who he really is? And what is it that keeps us from doing the same? See, when the light of the world shines, some will see clearly while others are blinded. The beggar in his encounter with Jesus walked away seeing fully. However, the Pharisees who proclaim to have a clear vision of who God is remain in their blindness. It's like, for those of you who wear glasses, do you ever remember a time where before you got glasses, things were a little blurry? What happens if you don't, don't get those glasses? You continue in your lack of vision, in, 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 a, in a way to put it. You continue where your life is blurry, your world is blurry, there is no clarity. But the moment you get into that doctor's office, when you take on that prescription and you say, you know what, I have a problem and I need something, someone to fix it. And when you finally accept this, the fact that you can't see and you go, on, and you go get those glasses, what happens? This clarity in life again. So the difference between Jesus, or I'm sorry, the difference between the blind man and the Pharisees is this. You see, they were both blind. One knew that he needed something, the other did not. The blind man knew who he really was. He knew that this is my situation. I've never seen from, from birth. I've never, I never experienced the world in this way, and I need someone to fix it for me. The Pharisees they did not know that they were, or they refused to acknowledge that they were blind. So often, we too can continue in our blindness. We too can, everything's okay on the surface, but spiritually we're blind. We have everything that we need. Financially, we're okay. We, as a church, we're doing well. We're doing great in the community. We're, you know, we're helping here, we're helping there, but can we be blind spiritually? It's often in those trials, it's often in weakness, it's often in brokenness that God works. And are we broken enough for him to work? Or are we sufficient, self-reliant, self-sufficient that we don't need him to work? You see, the Pharisees would have said, we have the law. We have everything that we need. We live our lives, we live our lives well enough that we don't need a Messiah to come in. Or we don't need this Jesus figure to come in and tell us that we're sinners. Do we walk down that same path now? Are we in danger of being the Pharisees? You see, C.S. Lewis writes, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. You see, when the sun shines, when light comes, things are revealed. Things about ourselves. Things about our nature, our, our community, it's revealed. 
The difference between those who are blinded and those who, who see is the awareness of their need. In this case, everyone in this account needs Jesus and what he offers them, yet they are blinded to their need. And when they're blinded to their need, they turn against the blind man. So as we continue in the story, you see that the neighbors could not figure him out, and now the Pharisees are trying to figure him out, and so they bring, him, bring his parents in. They ask the parents, was this man really blind from birth? I mean, this, he's walking around like he can see. Is this even true? Is this true that he was blind? And the parents say, yes, he's always been that way. And they say, so how did it happen? And they basically go, well, ask him. He's of age. He knows how he can speak for himself. And, and John says the reason they did that was because they know that if they were to proclaim Jesus healed him, they would be kicked out of the synagogue because the Pharisees had made a rule that anyone who put their trust in Jesus was out. This is their life. This is their community. This is all that they've known. This is their support structure. This is everything that they, ha- they need. And they, they know that the moment we declare that Jesus did this, we're out. And so they say, don't ask us this. It's his deal. His own family has turned against him. His own community has turned against him. And eventually we read that they kicked him out of his own synagogue. This is what they, what they say. And this is his response. So for the second time in John chapter 9, 24, 25. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Hope you see the irony in that. Here are the Pharisees trying to get him to proclaim that he's a sinner, that Jesus is a sinner. And this is his answer. And it would, I, would ask, I would recommend that we pay a little attention to this. He answered him, he said, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind... Now I see. The, bl- the blind man's response is simply this. I was blind, but now I see. You ask me all these questions. You ask me about his, who he is, what his relationships are, what, how, what his, uh, his spiritual life is. Is he a sinner? Does he do this? Does he do that? Is, I don't know anything. This is what I know. I was once blind, but now I see. I was once broken, but now I'm restored. I was once perishing in my sin, but now I'm restored into the family of God. I was once broken with addiction, but now I'm free. I was once broken in my marriage, but now I'm restored. That's our story. You, each of us sitting here this morning, each of you, no matter who you are, you have a story of brokenness. You have a story of challenges. You have a story that you've been carrying from birth. And today, here's a Jesus who can break that, who can transform that. And for those of us who put our trust in Jesus, we can say this, that I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once broken, but now I'm restored. And that's our story and for those of you who haven't encountered this Jesus, that can be yours too. There is a Jesus who, who comes up to this man and, he's, and he basically brings salvation to them. And that same Jesus we believe is here today. I once was blind, but now I see. How do you respond when a hostile world asks you these questions? How do you respond when your own community turns against you? 
How do you respond when questions are asked that you just don't have answers to? Here's, here's the simple, basic way to respond. I once was blind, but now I see. You see, so often we take the approach of, I have to defend Jesus. I have to defend who he is. I have to explain who he is. You're not called to be Jesus' attorney. You're called simply to be his witness. You're not called to defend him. You're just called to explain yourself. Say, this is where I was. This is where I'm today. That's as simple as it can be. When the world asks you these questions, we often think we have to get our apologetics correct, we have to know our, the right arguments, we have to know the right argument styles, we have to be able to debate it. No. He's saying, while there is a place for all that, he's saying, for you today, right here, I was once blind, but now I see. Your personal experience beats a bad argument any day. And that's one thing that no one can deny. No one can deny the fact that God touched you, the fact that God restored you, that you were at the brink of death, and now you hit sit here today, that God rescued you from, from the chains that held you down, that God rescued you from your brokenness, that God rescued your family members from their addiction, that God rescued you. No one can deny that because you're here today. I was once blind, but now I see. I'm going to call the worship team back up. And as we, as we close today, let me ask you, are you aligned with the light or against it? You see, the blind man, he was aligned with the light. When that light shone, he knew exactly what he needed. He needed Jesus. When that light shone, the Pharisees knew exactly what they did not want. They did not want a Jesus coming in and telling them who they really were. They did not want the light to shine on their darkness. They did not want the light to uncover their sin. They did not want the light to expose them for who they really were. So this morning, as we sit here, as we sit in the presence of God, as we sit in the presence of this light, are you aligned with the light or against it? Jesus was aware of his need. He was aware of his need. He knew he was blind and he had to see again. Maybe you're here today and you're asking that question. I've, I've been carrying this around my whole life. I've been blind since birth. I've been struggling and I just need someone to heal me. Or maybe you're here and you're looking around and you're saying, that can't be God. What if God is at work? What if His Spirit is amongst us and we like Pharisees are caught up? We're caught up in our desire to control our lives and we're missing what God's already doing. This morning before you go, this afternoon I should say, before you go, take a moment. Take a moment to surrender your life and ask God, God, which camp do I fall under? Am I like the blind man who recognizes his need? Or have I become calloused? Have I become hardened like the Pharisee to ignore the light and continue in my darkness? 
Either way, we need Jesus. No matter what your experience is here today, we need Jesus. And let's not walk away. Let's not leave this, this room without, without having an encounter with Jesus. Your pain is not wasted. Let Him get glory out of it. Let Him use your life. Let Him use your circumstance. Let Him use your burden and your pain to bring joy and restoration. And when He does, let us recognize that we have a need for a Savior. That at the end of the day, that is our story. That we were once lost, but we were found. We were once blind, but now, we're, now we see. And that that's the story that the world needs to hear. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? Father, we thank you. We thank you for you are at work in our lives. We thank you for you do an incredible work. Work that once seemed impossible. Once we thought that we would never break out of. Yet we are here today sitting in freedom, sitting with joy, sitting here because of the work that you have done. And Lord, even as we go into the world this week, wherever we may find ourselves, let that be our story. Let that be our cry. Let that be our, our gospel to the world that I was once blind, but now I'm, I'm healed. I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. Let that be our story. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.